One more time, if you would stand together with me as we go to the scripture, John chapter number 11. I want to go to God's word this morning and uh, preach the word. I feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh, yes, yes. Next week, now we met on a revival series that, oh, I don't want to leave it. I want to, I want to preach revival every Sunday for the rest of my life. I'm gonna, we're going to get a hat made that says revival. I want to wear revival. We got cups that are made that say Gromentum is revival, so we're drinking revival. We're wearing revival. I'm going to get a license plate that says revival. I'm going to drive revival because uh, we, we want to see God's will be done. So we are going to be moving forward, and we've got another message series next week. Uh, I really believe will be a blessing to you, and it is related to the subject of fear. And again, maybe we're catching the tail end of this, but man, there has been so much with you know sickness and coronavirus and all of just don't turn on the news but you know what I'm talking about it's just fear everywhere and it's in your face and it's trying to steal your peace and pilfer your joy but we want to talk about what God has to say about fear and more importantly we want to talk about the antithesis to that fear and it's faith because we combat, combat fear with faith so fear not. So next Sunday we'll be starting that. We'll spend a few weeks um, on that subject, on the Word of God. Pray the Lord will bless you through that. Until then, I'm preaching revival. My last chance. John chapter 11, verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And if you could read this in the Greek, this is more than just a passing little emotion. He was powerfully and deeply troubled and moved by what he was witnessing. He was bothered by it. He said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. Some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. I won't ask you to comment anything about your neighbor right now. For he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God, if you just believe. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. When he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when he spoke those faithful words, he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Duh. Wow. I want to preach this morning on revival, but I want to talk 
very specifically about staging, staging a comeback. Staging a comeback. How many is glad they know the comeback king? He's our comeback king. Jesus, Lord, thank you so much. We're in the presence of God. This is the word of God none other than the truth. Please help me with your anointing to preach and to minister and I pray that your people would be receptive and every person, God, that is here, Lord, that they would hear and receive. They would be encouraged and blessed and give us some action out of that, of revival. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Staging a comeback. Staging a comeback. I got a story I want to share here and I'm... I'm uh, I'm heading into uncharted territory. I should be wiser than this, but I'm going to tell a story about my sister-in-law. May God bless. I've got my mother-in-law here. Maybe I should tell a mother-in-law story. No, I won't do that. I'm going to tell a story about my sister-in-law, though. May God bless her soul. My sister-in-law, we were at a general conference a number of years ago, and in that conference, we had just exited out of the service, and we came, stepped out onto that main level, not unlike this, but it was a, it was a massive auditorium, and far off in the distance was a mezzanine that was, I would approximate, about 40 foot high, kind of suspended above that lower level, and we had made our way up to that top upper, upper level mezzanine, and uh, my sister-in-law, I, I shouldn't tell you her name. I won't tell you her name unless you really want me to. But so she came out of that service, and we were up on the top of that mezzanine there. And she had walked out, and she wanted to get to where we were. Unfortunately, there was a great gulf fixed between us. And the only way to get up there, there was an, an escalator that was there. The unfortunate thing is that escalator, one side of it was shut down, so the only part of that escalator was the part that was coming down, and she was on the main floor. We were on the upside. So the, I, and I don't know what possessed her to do this. I don't really. She, if she were here, she would admit this. So um, I'm not. Man, I'm online right now. Oh, my goodness. This is terrible. It's archived. But um, I don't know what entered into her mind, but the idea popped into her mind that I've got to get up to where my family is at. And the only way for her to do that and expedite it was to go up the down escalator. Now, she is not the queen of coordination, and she would tell you that, but she, man, yay, verily, she, she went for it. And uh, it was a struggle, and you could see her making her way up that down escalator. She's making her way up that escalator, and, and you know, it's, it must have been going faster than what she thought, so she had to pick up the pace. And, you know, and, and she started to stumble a little bit, and she made her way almost up to the very top of the escalator. And as she got almost within steps of victory, she tripped. And she, she, she crashed, and she burned. <laughs> and her kind and compassionate family, of course, stood there and laughed. She stumbled along, and she made her way, and she, you know, it's like, you know, crossing the finish line, and of course, she's massively humiliated because all the people that witnessed this thing happen, and she, but she made it to that top step only. She just crossed the threshold only to realize that her shoe had fallen off, and then down the entire escalator it goes. But thank God there was a lad. There was a lad. There was a young child that saw the whole thing take place. He wasn't laughing. 
and grabbed the shoe and ran up the escalators and, and rescued her. Have you ever crashed big time and it hurts? I mean, it may hurt physically, but, you know, it certainly hurts our ego, doesn't it? Okay, another picture. I want to bring a picture up here in this picture. I just got to share this with you because it was such a, such a nostalgic moment for me. I've shared this story before, but when I was a kid, my father owned a business, and so I started working when I was very young. Hide the picture. Don't show it yet. Hang on just a second. Wait. Hold that. So when I was young, I worked, and my father was almost abusive because almost the money that I made, he had a rule. It was, it was, it was pure torture for a kid that out of every single dollar that I earned, 50% of what I earned had to be put in the bank. So we had this little jar in our kitchen that sat up on the top of the cupboards that I would have to climb up on the cupboards. I'd pull that down, and there was a list there, and it had my name, Ron. I had my sister's name, Pam. There was a line down the middle, and every single dollar that I made, I had to put 50% of it in the bank. So if I made $10, I had to put $5 in the bank. It was awful. It's abusive. Not really. It actually taught me self-discipline. taught me some great things. So to earn money, I mean, it took a lot of work. So... For, for years, I had, I had saved up money, and I got to thinking and recollecting about this. I'm, I was trying to remember exactly when it happened, and then I discovered uh, it was about 1984. It would have been a 1984. I wanted this bike. Now, the bike that I had had for years was a Kmart bike. You don't get it. That's bad. Number two, it was a Kmart bike that had a banana seat. Now... They're really cool nowadays, and I know people, you know, they're like a collector thing. They were not a collector thing when I was a kid. They were goofy. So I wanted, I wanted, I wanted one of these special bikes, one of those, you know, those dirt bike kind of things. So I'd saved up this money. I'd saved up $135, and there was a kid in our school that had this bike, and it was not a mongoose. You remember mongooses, those bikes? This wasn't a mongoose. This was a super goose. It was a super goose. Show them the picture. Ooh, I mean, I will never in my life forget purchasing that bike. After I gave him the money and I stopped, it was like I was riding with the wind. I took a two-mile trip home, and it felt like verily five minutes. And there I was. But one day I had my super goose bike, and Shalm Elementary School was an elementary school that was close where I had gone to elementary school that was close to our house, and there was a trail that went through that yard. It was a great big uh, fenced-in schoolyard, and I remember I was on that trail, and I had my super goose, and if you really wanted to get cruising, you would stand up, and you would pedal that bike with all, you know, you know what I'm talking about, and you're swaying it like this, and you're just pounding on those pedals, and you're, go, you're flying like the wind, and one day I was on my super goose, and I was flying like the wind and cruising through on that dirt trail. And I was on the downswing. I was like this. And as I went to go down like this, the chain fell off. And when the chain fell off, I went whoosh. And I mean, I, limbs were flying everywhere. And if you've this, anything like this has ever happened to you, you know what I'm talking about. When I finally hit the ground, it was just like, ah. <coughs> uh. And I literally laid there for about five minutes and groaned as the bruises appeared. And, but what's the one thing that you, you, you teach a kid when they're learning how to ride a bike? What's the one thing you teach them? They, 
Yeah, I mean, they get their balance. What's going to happen? They're going to fall over, right? They're going to get bruised. They're going to they're 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 going to get hurt. They're going to. What's the when when a kid falls off a bike? What do you do with the kid? You put them back on the bike, right? Because if you don't put them back on the bike, they'll be afraid of it for the rest of their life. Sometimes when you fall, you got to get back up, and you got to get back on the bike, and you got to keep on keeping on. I wish I could preach to somebody here this morning. Sometimes we get intimidated when we fall. You got to get back up, and you got to keep on going. You have no idea the victories that lie in your future if you're willing to just get back up and go after it again. And somebody said amen. amen. Abraham Lincoln, of course, President of the United States, one of the successful, wonderful presidents of the United States that was instrumental in our, our nation's history and many of the freedoms that we enjoy today were due to him. But if you read about, about his past, he had many great difficulties that he had to overcome. And of course, he had victories, but along with those victories came some tremendous defeats, and I'm going to list some of them. He struggled through debilitating depression. He lost his job. He was defeated for state legislature. He failed in business. His sweetheart died when he was young. Abraham Lincoln had a nervous breakdown. He was defeated for speaker. He was defeated for nomination for Congress. He lost renomination. He was rejected in a position as a land officer. He was defeated for U.S. Senate. He was defeated for nomination for vice president. And he was again defeated for the U.S. Senate. And then he was elected president of the United States of America. If he'd have never got up, he'd have never been president. I haven't just come to talk about these natural examples, but I have come to remind us as the church that we need to thank God that he is the God of the comeback. We need to thank God that he is a God that can stage a recuperation, that it's possible for dead things to come back to life. It's possible to rally. It is possible to recover. It is possible to snap back and improve. Oh, how I'd like to scream to our nation. Though we face difficult times at times, and the enemy would like to scream in your ears that it's all over. Thank God that we've got a God that can author a comeback in our lives, in our church in our nation, and in our world. The enemy tells us there is no hope. As we comb through the pages of this beautiful Bible, though, we find over and over again that our God is the author of the comeback. We read about a Hannah in the Bible who could not have children, and she was barren, and yet God heard her prayer. She was an underdog. We... Read about a Joseph who betrayed and beaten and mistreated by his own brothers and his family and yet rises in prominence to be the second most powerful man in all of the world because God delights in the underdog. We read about Esther, her people under persecution and coming death, and yet God comes through for her. We read about Ruth who her husband is dead, she's living in a strange land, and yet she becomes a wonderful woman of notoriety in the Scripture. We read about Rahab, who is the converted hooker, and yet God does something special in her life, and she expresses a faith in him. 
Matter of fact, let me say it like this, that this whole Bible is a comeback story. Do you get it? Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and the very, the very beginning of it all, the beginning of creation, when God made everything so beautiful and man, as he often does, screwed it up. But thank God that that screw-up isn't the end of the story because from Genesis 3, this book has been about revival and restoration and a comeback and those sin wrecked everything. There's a God that can fix everything that's been wrecked. This Bible is a book of restoration and revival. A comeback, a comeback. Literally, we're talking about revival, but do we know what revival literally is? A comeback. It's things are not as they should be, but God restores them to what they should be, and victory is realized afresh. A comeback, a comeback. Many, many years ago, and I'm going to date myself in saying this, but many years ago, some of you would remember, Sundays was a cartoon day, and Saturdays was a day that you would watch sports. And CBS Wide World of Sports. And there was that video clip they would play before every time there was an athletic event. And the video clip went something along the lines of this. And the thrill of victory. And the agony of defeat. Some of you may remember that. And when that happened, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, there was, a, there was a reel that was played, a clip that was played of a man that was going down ski jumping. And he's flying, and, and, and it says the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And it shows him at that moment he gets tripped up. You remember that? And I mean, he spins, and he, I mean, he crashes. And the question I always had, and I, at least the assumption that I'd always made, is, man, that guy must have died in that crash. It was good news when I discovered later that the guy didn't die in that crash. The agony of defeat. Because you know what? You may be in the agony of defeat, but because of Jesus, we can rise again above the defeats that come in our lives. Our lives are a marinade of the sweet and of the bitter. We go through the high times of victory and sometimes we go through the low times of defeat. I am not saying this in the sense of we should necessarily expect it. But the scripture teaches us in Proverbs 24 and 16. It says, notice with me, a just man. Can you say that with me? A just man. This means a good man, a righteous man, a godly man, a holy man, a man or a woman, a person that is desiring God and walking after God. It says the qualifier, a just man. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say falls 700 times. Because it's not saying we just make excuses and we just, oh yeah, we're going to fall, we're going to sin, and we play around, we don't care, we're haphazard about it. Amen? It doesn't say 700 times. It doesn't say a just man only falls one time. But I'm so thankful for the balance the Word of God gives us. It does say, though, that a just man is going to fall seven times. In other words, it's not what we want. It's not what we desire. Sometimes we go through life and we stumble and we crash and we burn. 
Sometimes we find ourselves flat on our face. But the scripture says a just man falls seven times. The greatest tragedy in the world is not falling. Listen, the greatest tragedy in the world is not getting back up. Because the best of us are going to fall by times. It's not what we want. It's not what we desire. But the good news is there is hope that when I fall, I can get back up. I can get back up again. When I've skinned my knees, when I haven't lived the way I've wanted to live, the good news is I can get back up again. As a matter of fact, that is the testimony of revival in the church. And that's the message of reconciliation. That though you've fallen, the good news is in Christ we rise. In Christ we can get back up again. I'm preaching about revival. In fact, there needs to be a faith-filled optimism with the help of God. The odds may be against us, but thank God I can get back up in Jesus' name. Well, Pastor, I'm in darkness. I feel surrounded by darkness. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 27 and 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light. I'm in darkness. Well, thank God the Lord will be my light. He is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Well, the enemy is after me. Psalm 144 and 1. Blessed be the Lord my strength which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. My goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer. My shield in whom I trust who subdueth my people under me. The enemy is after me. But thank God I've got a high tower. I've got a deliverer. I've got a shield. The enemy may be against me. But oh, God is on my side. And he's going to get me through. Because he's the author of the comeback. Paul is laying on the ground. He's preached the gospel. He, they've thrown rocks at him. He's bruised, battered, beaten, bloodied, laying on the ground, saying, what do I do next? Uh, but my Bible tells me that Paul got back up. Micah says it like this, and I think it's a scripture that we all need to memorize and we need to get it into our spirit for those times when we need it. Micah says it like this, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall, I shall, in Jesus' name, arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I'm talking about staging a comeback today when the enemy snickers in your ear and jeers and laughs at you and says, uh, your best days are behind you. We've got a God that authors the comeback. Uh, We've got a God that though we're down, uh, we're not out. Uh, And there's such a thing called revival. There's a thing called revival that we can get back up. Revival in its purest terms is when you are dead, but you come back to life. Literal revival is when you're dead, but you come back alive. As a matter of fact, when you're in the most hopeless circumstances, and I think God, sometimes he is not malicious nor is he vindictive, but sometimes he will engineer and he will allow us to get into a position that the only way we're going to get out is if God intervenes.
And when he intervenes and we stand there on the other side of a miracle and we look back, we, we say, if it were not for the Lord that was on our side, if it wasn't for the fact, because I look back over my shoulder and I know it will all been over right there, but God is on my side. He wouldn't let me just languish in that position, but he gave me a comeback. He gave me a comeback. He gave me a comeback. Oh, hallelujah. As a matter of fact, another definition of comeback, a comeback is when somebody is verbally debating with you. You know what I'm talking about? But all of a sudden, popping into your mind is the right response. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. It's called a comeback. You know what? We need a comeback. We need a comeback when the enemy gets in our face. We need a comeback. God's on my side. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. I've got a comeback for that. And I've got good news for this church. The greatest years of this church are not behind us. I just tell you, I feel because the nature of the church is like a is like a 454 engine that's just idling and it's it's you know it's being held back. And I think in some ways the church is revving and the best days are ahead of us. And we are continuing by faith and we're staying faithful to God and we're continuing to do what the Lord wants us to do. There are some reservations. There are some holdbacks. It feels like in our culture right now. But we know that when God chooses to break this thing loose, it's going to break loose in a powerful way and he's going to get the glory for it. Revival. The greatest days of the church are ahead of us. We are an apostolic church. The book of Acts does not end in the 28th chapter of Acts. It does not. Matthew ends with the last words, amen, period. Mark ends with the last words, amen, period. Luke ends with the last words, amen, period. John ends with the last words, amen, period. The book of Acts, the 28th chapter, does not end with an amen nor a period because the story of that is not over. The forward march of the church is continuing and we are writing apostolic history as we live and as we breathe. In Jesus' name. I want to take you to the most pivotal and powerful miracle of the New Testament. Understand John chapter 11. This miracle of the New Testament literally is the watershed moment. It is the pivot point when literally the destiny of Jesus is forever cast. Because the resurrection of Lazarus was literally the event that precipitated the crucifixion of Christ. Little do we know sometimes when we read when he told Martha, this is for the glory of God. That the, glory, the ultimate glory of God was not just the resurrection of Lazarus, but the ultimate glory of God was the crucifixion of Christ. And he knew, I'm setting the stage, and I'm going to raise my friend. This is a setup. It's going to be a comeback for Lazarus. It's going to be a setup. But the ultimate setup was that they got so jealous and so angry at the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus uh, that it literally inspired them to kill and to crucify Christ. It is probably the most pivotal and powerful miracle in the New Testament. His name is Lazarus. He is part of the one, one of the great New Testament families. I think that's pretty cool. I think it's cool that Jesus reaches individuals. I thank God for that. He cares about individuals. 
But Jesus doesn't just care about individuals. He also loves families. So you got Peter and Andrew. You got James and John are a part of the same family. They're in, they're, they're in a family. Jesus cares not just about individuals, but he cares about families. I feel the Holy Ghost here this morning. I thank God that he reaches individuals, but I thank God that he also reaches families. There's something about families that propagate this truth to another generation. And it's Marlettes, and it's Hadias, and it's Parringtons. I thank God that he works with, he still works with families. And this group, when we find John chapter number 11, we find a family in the Bible. We have Martha, we have Mary, and we have Lazarus. Martha, they say and believe, was either late 30s or early 40s. It put Lazarus in his approximate early 30s. And Jesus was close to this family. Over and over when he came through Bethany, he would stop in their house. He would visit with them. They would give him a place. The son of man that had no place to lay his head would lay his head in, in the soft mattress in the house of Bethany. He was a friend to this family. He was close to this family. He loved this family. Three times in John chapter 11, it says that he loved this family and he loved Lazarus. John 11 and verse 3 and verse 5 and verse 36, he said that he loved this family. So when we talk about Lazarus, we, he literally, they called him our friend Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. He was one of the good guys in the world. You don't hear a lot about him. He doesn't show up a lot in the New Testament. But when you hear about him, he was special to the heart of God. When I think about him, I think about in our church like in Alex Wickham. And Alex Wickham, you, you may not hear a lot about him. He may not always be front and center, but he's just always there. Thank God for people like that. Doesn't demand tons of attention, but he's faithful. He, he's there. He's a good man. He's a godly man. And that's what we find in Lazarus. We find this good, good man. Bethany, and so the word is given that Lazarus is sick. And the journey that they took from Bethany to Jericho, where Jesus was, was not an easy journey. It was an arduous journey. It was a 20-mile journey. It was about 5,000 feet vertically that they had to climb in that 20 miles. In that 20 miles going from Bethany all the way up that hill as they headed toward Jericho, it was a rough and arduous and long journey. It took them probably days to get there. And by the time they got there and they, they found Jesus, they spoke to Jesus and said, Jesus, your, your friend Lazarus is, is sick. And there's a very unique scripture in the book of John that is almost quizzical to us. And, he, and Jesus makes this statement. He says, Lazarus is, is sick and I am glad. It almost seems like, you know, an insult. It almost seems like salt is being poured in the wounds. He could have gone immediately, but he chose not to, and he deliberately delayed his journey. You ever get upset with people that just take their time? They're always running late, and you're like, okay. I used to, when I would go to church I was as a teenager, I was tasked with the job of bringing my sister to church with me. And I love my dear sister. She's a wonderful, wonderful person, but she is slow. And back in those days, they had those cool curlers. They were called uh, hot sticks. And she had, she had, I mean, she had hair, hair everywhere, unstoppable hair. And she would get those 
curl stick things in there and she'd curl her hair and church would be getting closer and closer. I'd say, okay, Pam, time to go to church. Say, I know, I know, I'm just getting ready. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And we'd be getting later and later and later. I'd get out of my car. I'd say, I'm going to leave you. I'm just, I'm coming, she'd say. And, and invariably, we'd end up late. I, I mean, doesn't that drive you nuts sometimes? People dragging their feet. Well, here's Jesus, and Jesus is dragging his feet. And he's doing it intentionally. And the hours are going by, and the days are clicking by. And, and in the interim, Lazarus dies. But can I tell you that it was a setup? You know, part of living for God, in full disclosure here, there is nothing that I can see in the Scripture that promises us just a primrose path to a comfortable eternity. Matter of fact, there's nothing in the Word of God that I see that says that living for God is going to make our life devoid of any pain or any problems. But let me tell you the good news. We, we can't short-circuit the process. Life is going to be painful. But on a painful walk, we've got someone who said, I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. We've got a God that said, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as a matter of fact, there are some things that God is going to orchestrate in our lives. He is going to administrate in our lives. I'm not saying that God is the author of evil, but I'm saying that there are some things that God will allow to happen in our lives. And it's not because he hates us. It's because he loves us. We're still his friends. We're still his beloved. We're still walking with him. We're still faithful to him. And yet Jesus allows this situation to happen because are you ready? He was staging a comeback. And the good couldn't, couldn't be appreciated until it got so bad that when Jesus intervened, it was a miracle. Sometimes Jesus allows things to happen to show his glory. He literally it's amazing, John chapter 11, one of the most revelatory statements made of the identity of Jesus. And this happens very infrequently in, in the Gospels. But one of the few occasions that this woman, Martha, looks at him and says, I know exactly who you are. You are the Son of God. You are none other than Messiah. She had a revelation of who he was. It was a powerful, powerful moment. Jesus shows up, and of course, if, if you can read between the lines and allow me to maybe read between the lines here, she is a woman, she's ticked off, but she's respectful because she knows who he is. You're none other than the Son of God. And it's almost like she puts her hand on her hip and says, Jesus, if you'd have been here. Now, she's not disrespectful, she's verging on that, but she's got enough respect knowing who he is that she kind of holds back a little bit and just says, you know, Jesus, you're a little bit late. If you'd have been here, our brother had not died. At least she had faith that he had the power to do something. But her timing and his timing was very, very different. And, she, and, and Jesus looks at this woman and he tells her, he, oh, God, help us today. He tells her, he said, if you believe... You're going to see the glory of God. 
You don't know how powerful that is right there. He said, and he reiterates it later in the story when he shows up in the house, and he's basically, he reprimands her, and he corrects her, and he says, didn't, didn't you hear what I said, Martha, that if you'll believe, you'll see the glory of God? And when she said, you're the resurrection and the life, he's, she, she was talking about the future, or, or she was thinking of a future resurrection. And Jesus was saying, no, I, I am, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't care how dark it's got. I don't care how bleak it's got. I don't care how dead this situation is. I don't care how impossible this situation. Man, I feel Jesus here today. He's saying, what you don't get is I am present tense resurrection. It doesn't matter how far gone he is. It doesn't matter if it's four hours, four days, four years. You don't understand the fact that I'm here. And if I'm here, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. If you'll just believe... Martha, if you'll believe, you'll, you'll see the glory of God. Oh, Jesus, resurrect our faith. Oh, Jesus, have patience with us because we're human and we're flesh and we're bone. And you understand that. Help us, Lord, to believe. I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. Sometimes I believe in part. Sometimes I believe in full. But help me, oh God, to get a hold of your coattail and recognize that you have the words of eternal life. And you, Jesus, can do anything, anytime, anywhere with any one that you so choose because you are the resurrection and the life. And he's standing there and they're weeping and, 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 the, and, the, and the morning that took place was not a one-day affair. It was a 30-day affair typically. The hardest morning was the first seven days and they set themselves to mourning and they paid mourners and the family was there and the friends were there and the mourners would show up and those that loved him the most, their tradition was cried the loudest. So he walks onto this scene and they're crying and they're weeping at the top of their lungs and they're beside themselves and he walks into all of this mayhem and he says, there's hope. I'm the resurrection. He said, Martha, I want you to take me to the place. Where, where is he? She said, we'll take you there. And she takes him to the cave, to the grave, which was a cave. Takes him to the cave. And he says, roll away the stone. She said a really unique thing. She said, but Jesus, he stinks. Because Jesus waited long enough for things to fall apart royally. There were times that they were rushed there were rushed uh, graveyard scenarios, not unlike the situation some of you may have read just recently in, in Michigan. It happened. It's happened before, but it happened in Michigan. A girl died, and she was pronounced dead. She had a terrible situation happen. She was pronounced dead. The caretakers took her to the, to the funeral home, and like 12 hours later, they hear a cry in the back room. <laughs> That'd make me want to quit being a caretaker, or at least be an emergency personnel. Thank God they didn't start embalming her. Hey, I'm not dead. And so there were times in speedy situations they would pronounce deadness over people. Jesus said, we're going to make no mistake about it. I'm not coming an hour after his death. I'm not coming a day after his death. I'm coming four days. And Martha says, you don't get it, Jesus. We rolled away that stone. I mean, we did our best. I mean, we wrapped him in all the spices. We did all that. But you don't, you don't get it, Jesus. He, he, he stinks. He smells. 
He smells. He's already, his, his flesh is decomposing and he's rotting. You, you don't understand. He's too far. He's too far gone. Hmm. Oh, God. He's too far gone. Jesus says three words that changes everything. Three words. The first word he says is, Lazarus! You say, why? First of all, thank God that he knows our name. Oh, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from it. The Lord knoweth them. He knows your name. He says, Lazarus, because had he not specified and had he not clarified that every single grave in that graveyard, every dead body would have come out if he'd have given a general call like one day he will. Then they would have all come out of the grave. But he's specific. He says, Lazarus, come and then he says the last thing. He says, fourth. He's like, I want you to get out of that grave. Now that's where I found you, but that's not where I'm going to leave you. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Jesus. I found you there, but I'm not leaving you there. The all-powerful Spirit of God, I've heard too many testimonies from too many people to know better. But they're sitting in a bar. And in the middle of a bar, conviction comes to their heart. And something comes into their heart. There's a whisper in their spirit sitting on a bar stool. I've heard it over and over again. Something whispers to their spirit. Sometimes they're either away from God or they didn't even know about God. One particular man that was away from God. He was in a dive den, drug den wiped out on drugs, and something inside of him said, Holy Ghost was better than this. Living for God was better than this. Because our God is so courageous, he'll, he's so holy that he'll show up in dirty places. That's how holy God is. I know people that won't come to church. You know why they won't come to church? They won't come to church because they say, you don't know how bad I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how dark my past is. And if I were to come into that church, that church would start shaking and quaking. The ceiling would fall. The lightning bolts would come, and I'd probably get struck dead. Listen, God's not afraid of your sin. God's not afraid of your sickness. God's not, God's not afraid. In fact, he's so holy that his holy can make your dirty holy. Without your dirty making his holy dirty. And so he'll show up in the bar. He'll show up in these places. But listen, where he finds you is not where he is going to leave you. He may find you as a drunk. He may find you as a liar. He may find you as a cheat. He may find you as immoral. He may find you as hopeless. Uh, but Jesus, when he finds you, he'll resurrect you where you are. But he isn't going to leave you where you are. He's going to call you out. Come on. Come out from among them. Get out of that tomb. You weren't destined to spend the rest of your life around dead things. You were destined to live. you got to leave that cancer. Leave that sickness. Leave that sin. Leave that friend group. Because God's got something more for you.
So the three words that he said, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Except Jesus wasn't surprised. You're supposed to be surprised. I'm acting like I know what I'm doing. You're supposed to go. He came forth and he had helpers. He came forth. He comes out of the tomb. <laughs> How you feeling, Lazarus? He's good. <laughs> He's alive. He's alive. Some of you don't remember that, sorry. He's alive. He comes out. He's got resurrection life in him. But notice something about this guy. Is he resurrected? Is he alive? But he's still got some stuff that's binding him up. Jesus called him forth out of the grave, said, Lazarus, come forth. And then he told the helpers that were standing there, now loose him and let him go. What are you saying, preacher? Thank God for the church. Thank God for the people of God that when they come out of the tomb, they're not getting accusation from us. They're not getting condemnation from us. What they're getting is the support that they need as we unravel some of the things that have had them bound. They've been set free by the power of God. They've been filled with the Spirit. They've been resurrected. But there's still some stuff that has to come off. Loose them. Let them go. Thank God for every Sunday school teacher. Thank God for every brother and sister in Christ. Thank God for the family of God. Thank God for the church. Thank God for the ministry. What are we working together for? To see them loosed and let them go. Thank you. Thank you. Let them go. This is a crazy church. Because the work of sanctification and the work of God's perfecting that happens in our life. Thank God he doesn't give on, up on us. Though we fall seven times, uh, we get back up. But there's something about us uh, that we are making a departure from what we used to be uh, into what we're going to be. Uh, we're coming out of what we used to be uh, into what we're going to be. Uh, you have not seen uh, my best days yet uh, because I'm letting some stuff go. I've got resurrection life, uh, but the past is the past, is the past, is the past, uh, is the past, uh, is the past, uh, is the past, uh, the past is the past, uh, and I'm moving forward in Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. A miracle of the resurrection. Only Jesus can do that. But Lazarus had to exit the place of death. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying you've got to walk out of the cave. Vacate the premises. Come on. I'm leaving the bar. God, help me to preach repentance like the old timers used to preach it. God, help us. Come on. I'm leaving the dope. Come on. I'm leaving the fornication. 
Come on, I'm leaving the old life. I'm leaving the adultery. Come on, I'm leaving the drugs. I'm leaving the bitterness. Come on, I'm leaving the abuse. The sexual abuse, the emotional abuse, the physical abuse. Lazarus, come forth. God wants us resurrected, but he also wants us free. He wants us free. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. That old outfit didn't look good on him anymore. Was he free? Man, that old outfit, he had to get rid of that old outfit. He got himself a new change of clothes. He got a new change of clothes. He started walking different, talking different, living different. Because he was a new man in Christ. All right. I'm going to wrap up with this because this, this is really what God gave me in prayer. And I, I, it's for somebody. Maybe it was 9 o'clock. Maybe it's for you this morning. The Lord gave this to me. This, as I was praying this week, this is what he gave me. Jesus didn't just raise Lazarus from the dead. All right? Listen up. Jesus didn't just raise him. The, I want you to think about because he was so far gone. He was four days. Decomposition had set in. The smell had set in. His literal flesh is rotting, okay? God let it get so far that he let him fall apart, right? This is what God gave me, and it's for somebody. Jesus didn't just raise him from the dead. He reversed the consequences of death. He reversed the consequences of the damage inflicted. He reversed the consequences because physical decomposition had already happened in his body. But the resurrection of Christ didn't just put air in his lungs. It put back together everything that had been dismantled and had come apart in his life. I'm preaching to people that have been broken by broken marriages. The kids are crying. Hearts are broken. Negative impacts. It wasn't just the high getting high. It was the facts that the, the bills weren't paid and the debt is in arrears and the credit is now destroyed. It isn't just that you fornicated. It was the diseases that came with it. It wasn't just that you got high. It was the brain cells that you fried. I've got good news for somebody here today that I serve a God that can reverse the consequences of death. He is so powerful that he can reverse the consequences of the damage that was inflicted upon a life. I know sometimes people live with the effects of a life ill-willed, but Lazarus teaches me. I don't know how, I don't know when, and I don't know who, but I know that at least in his case that Jesus reversed the consequences of the death that had worked in his body. And I've got to believe here in 2020 that Jesus can still reverse the consequences of what death has inflicted upon Someone. I come to tell somebody, if you've been born again, you're not damaged goods. 
I come to tell someone, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You're not damaged goods. You can have a good family. You can build a good life. You can have a good marriage. You can see Jesus put back together everything that's been destroyed by the effect of sin. Talking about a comeback brings you back to where you were and better. Back before the breakup. Back before the sickness. Back before the breakdown. Come on, back before the kids went nuts. Back before you screwed your life up. Back, he can bring you back. And he can bring you back to that point against all odds, impossible and hopeless. Jesus can bring you back. And he can bring you back more influential than before. Jesus can stage the comeback. I'll tell you what I'm saying. I'm saying after coronavirus, greater revival. Mm. Jesus restores and out comes Lazarus new and improved the better version of himself because now he had a resurrection life music come, I'm done my final point is this watch this this, this is an amazing scripture John chapter 10, amazing scripture so easy to pass by John 12 and 9, amazing scripture. Much people of the Jews therefore knew he was there, Lazarus. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. <laughs> like Jesus is the miracle worker, unbelievable. He is the miracle man. We got to see Jesus. But they didn't just go to see Jesus. They went to see. Come on, man. Is it, is it real? I mean, look at you. You're looking good, man. I mean, for real? Lazarus. came to see Lazarus too. 
watch this. And I'm done. Ten. But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. You know why? Because you're dangerous. Oh, you don't get it. You didn't get it. They consulted to put Lazarus also to death. I preached a message many, many years ago. It was called Miracles in Jeopardy. Because when God does a miracle in your life, you then at that point become a walking billboard, a testimony, a testimony everywhere you go. Look at what Jesus did. 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 And, and everywhere that Lazarus went, Okay, I don't have proof for this. This is what tradition says, and I'm just going to say that I believe it. Tradition says that Lazarus was approximately 30 years old and resurrected. They say that he lived another 30 years. They lived to be, he lived to be 60 years old. What that meant was that for the next 30 years of his life, everywhere that he went, they're like, you were, weren't you? You, you, you were Laz, Lazarus, and you're still here. For 30 years, he was a walking testimony. Everywhere he went, that Jesus can stage a comeback. No matter how dead you are, no matter how decomposed you are, no matter how much stuff has fallen apart in your life, uh, everywhere he went, uh, he was given a testimony. Look at what Jesus did. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. That's why they wanted to kill him. Come on. Come on. Olivia, that's why the devil wants you dead. Devil wants you dead because he's scared to death. Everywhere Olivia walks, she's a testimony. Look at what Jesus did. DeAndre, that's why everywhere you walk, your old buddies you used to party with, your old wrestler friends you used to wrestle with, everywhere you go, you're a testimony saying, he raised me. He replaced my hopelessness with hope. Sean Thompson. Man, Sean Thompson, I don't even know if he should go there. God almighty. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Here's, stand with me. I'm done. Here's what you may not know. People come walking in. This is what I love about our church. I love a church that loves lost people because when other lost people come walking into this church, this I'm telling you what happens. They walk in the back door and they put their head on the swivel and they're like, what's he doing here? <laughs> I think I owe him money. <laughs> I think I ripped him off a couple years ago. I remember beating his head in. We got in a fight. But you don't know. But you don't know. We got people here. And oh my goodness. They got testimony of what the Lord has done in their life. And everywhere they go, everywhere they go, they're broadcasting to the world. There's hope in Jesus. Oh, God, can we lift our hands to the Lord? Can we thank him today? What a wonderful God. What a wonderful God. Hallelujah, Jesus.